Good morning. You know it's going to be a good day when Daryl sneaks in a little Bruce Hornsby in the offering. That's a good day. That's going to be a good day, I'm just telling you. Man, we're so glad that you're here with us uh, at South City Church. This is an important day for us as a family, um, kind of a historic day for us as a family, and so we're excited to talk to you about our church covenant. Um, it's going to be a good day. In the next three weeks, including today, uh, we're going to be talking about sort of that covenant, what it means to be a covenant family. Um, but I don't know if you've noticed or not, but in our country and in our culture, covenants or commitments, uh, they're not real popular anymore. Have you noticed that? To commit to something is, is kind of few and far between. There's not a lot of people that, that enjoy committing to things anymore. I was thinking about this being Memorial Day weekend. I'm thinking about that, that ultimate commitment that those men and women have made for our country. That's, that's commitment, right? Willing to die for, for our freedoms, for our country. And yet, you know, I saw a metric this week that said um, 18-year-olds to 32-year-olds only 26% of 18 to 32-year-olds are married. 26%. If you look at that metric in 1960, it was 72%. What does that, that say to us? <laughs> A bunch of different things, actually, right? I think it means we don't want to commit. This is my life. It also means I don't necessarily have to honor God with the way I live. I'll do what I want to do. Commitment is kind of a shrinking thing that we see happening in our country and in our culture, no question about it. People don't leave notices for their jobs anymore. Have you noticed that? Once they get a new job, if it's better for them, then they're just out. They're gone. Many of you employers are going, yes, I know. I've felt that. Um, I think about the church. Many people think, well, I'm just, this is kind of going a different direction than I thought. I'm out. And that's, that's really not what we do. We're becoming increasingly individualistic and independent of each other. What even about social media and these platforms that we have? See, the, the thing that's dangerous about these social media platforms is that they are the, uh, they're deceptive. It's deceptive community. It feels like community, doesn't it? It feels like, well, no, I know all these 2,000 people, right? You know, but I, I see their lives. I see the best part of their lives, in fact. And I get to like them. I get to, oh, I like that picnic you guys had. And I get to say, way to go on the picnic. Or way to go on the graduation. It feels like we're in community, but it's deceptive because we're really not in community. We live at this surface level of community. It's not real community. It's just social media. And that's what's so deceptive. We think it feels like community, but it's, it's really not. Let me tell you, real community, deep community comes with deep commitment. In other words, you can't have the community God wants you to have in your family, in your church, uh, without being truly committed to people. Everybody wants community, but not everybody wants commitment. Today we're talking about covenant. What in the world is a covenant? Right? What does the Bible say about a covenant, and what does that have to do with us here at South City Church? Well, before we get going too far, let's just answer that question, can we? Here, what is a covenant? I wanted to define it for you. We were going to put it on the screen. It's this. A covenant is a serious and sacred promise where two or more parties define their relationship and commit to upholding their responsibilities to it. Let me, let me read that again. A covenant is a serious or solemn and sacred promise where two or more parties define their relationship and commit to upholding their responsibilities to it. 
I'm kind of a simple guy, so I like easy definitions, simple definitions. For me, a covenant is, is kind of saying this. It's the deepest promise that I can make. That's what a covenant is. It's the most serious, deepest promise that I can make. One thing is you read Scripture, it's really easy to tell where covenant comes from. We serve a God that is a covenant God. There's no question about it. Especially in the Old Testament, it's easy to see that covenant was a big deal. In fact, from before the beginning of time, God made a covenant. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, uh, that it is God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He tells us in Titus 1, the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God made a covenant with Jesus. Theologians call this covenant the covenant of redemption. God made a promise, the deepest promise, to redeem us even before he created us. Try and wrap your brain around that for a minute. He promised to redeem us before he created us, the covenant of redemption. Then we see God create the world. He creates uh, mankind, and he creates a covenant with Adam. Right? He says, Adam, right, don't eat of this tree. It's not that big of a deal, Adam. Just stay away from the tree. Evidently, that fruit looked pretty good because we know how that worked out, right? It didn't work out so well. Adam didn't keep the covenant. See, God is a, a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, and we are a covenant-breaking people. It's what we do. He makes and keeps covenant. We break it consistently. And, of course, that's what we see has happened in what theologians call the covenant of works. God had this covenant with Adam. Hey, just do this one thing. If you'll do this one thing, I'll give you eternal life. It didn't work out so well. But right after that, we see in Genesis 3, a covenant of grace that God uh, gives to us. And we see the prophecy of it, Genesis 3, 15. This is out of the NIV. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a covenant to make all things broken right. This is the prophecy of Jesus coming to save us from the very sin that uh, we've committed, the very brokenness of the covenant that we've broken. It's called the covenant of grace. We see covenants all over the, the Old Testament, all over Scripture. Uh, I want to just go through a few quickly here. We see God made a covenant with Noah, right, when he flooded the earth. He said he would never flood the earth again and by a, 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 gives a sign to remind us that he'll never destroy the earth by a flood again. And that's the what? Okay, good, good, Sunday school. It's good. Most of these covenants, they, they have a sign that help us remember these covenants of God. He made a covenant with Noah not to destroy the, the, world, the world by flood, and he, and he shows us the, the uh, rainbow as a sign. Then he makes a covenant with Abram, which the sign is circumcision, renaming Sarai and Abram to Sarah and, and Abraham, right? He makes this covenant, and with this covenant, he says to Abraham, uh, I'm going to give your offspring this land here at this place called Shechem. That's going to be important in just a little while when we discuss this a little further. We're a little further down in the story. He says, at Shechem, I'm going to give your offspring this land, which, by the way, is important in today, if you've been looking at the news lately, of Israel. Let me ask you a question. Does God keep his covenant? Has he kept it with Israel? He's a God-keeping, making God. 
even when we're a covenant-breaking people. He made a covenant with Moses. This is an important one, right? This is the old covenant. Moses brings down the, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets off, the Mount, off Mount Sinai. He's glowing because he's been with God, and he, he, he brings the covenants down. You remember for the movie buffs, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember, it's the Ark of the... Yeah. The Ark of the Covenant. It's a big deal. Covenant is a big deal. We see God make a covenant with David. He tells David that uh, for all eternity, someone in David's lineage would sit on the throne of Israel. And of course, we know that Jesus came through David's lineage and will forever sit on the throne of Israel. And the most important covenant we have is the new covenant, right? It's a covenant we have that's been promised to us. God made a promise to new Israel. Do you know who that is? It's you. It's the church. He made a covenant to redeem us, to save us. And he did that in Jesus' blood. There's a prophecy of this new covenant in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Uh, but I thought it would be cool to, to look at this scripture uh, encapsulated in the Hebrews passage, Hebrews 8, where the writer kind of speaks to us about why the new covenant's better than the old covenant. All right? Hebrews 8, verse 6, look at this. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. It's better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then there would have been no occasion to look for a second. But he finds fault with them when he says, behold, this is a Jeremiah passage. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. Because we're a covenant-breaking people, right? They did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old, is ready to vanish away. The new covenant. It's the most important covenant that we have, and the writer of Hebrews here is trying to help us understand that it's better. It's better. It's enacted on better promises. Those promises consist of us knowing God, right? Of us being able to approach God. The veil in the temple was torn. This is a much, much better covenant. God made a covenant with Adam, a covenant of works. But let me tell you something. In the new covenant, it's not about our works, is it? It's not about how we can keep the covenant. Because Jesus went to the cross, and he did the work, didn't he? He did a finished work on the cross. His work on the cross paid the price for our sin. Well, then we see the covenant, the old covenant with Moses, and we see through Deuteronomy and Leviticus this system of laws and system of trying, how do we live with a holy God? How does a people live with a holy God? And we see this consistent uh, sacrifices. We've got to continue to offer sacrifices. Well, Jesus not only offered one finished work, he paid one complete sacrifice. Amen? It's over. He said, it is finished. 
The work has been done and the sacrifice has been made. Praise God. Praise God that Jesus on the cross is the new covenant. It's his blood that is this new covenant for us. And listen, in case it wasn't clear, Jesus helps us really, really simply here, uh, very blatantly. He says in Luke 22, verse 20, he says, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This cup, in other words, this work and this sacrifice that I'm about to offer on the cross, it is the new covenant poured out for you in my blood. And like many covenants, there's always a sign that goes with the covenant. And so for the church, this new covenant, we have some signs. One is baptism. When you come to know the Lord and you say, I want to follow him, we know that obedience is to to be baptized. We go down in the water as if we're saying, listen, I'm dead to my old self. I'm not going to be the same anymore. I'm going to come out of that water. Just as Jesus came out of the grave, I'm going to be raised to a new life in him, a new purpose, a new hope. It's a sign of that new covenant. Also a sign of the covenant is the Lord's Supper. When we take that bread and that juice and we remember his death and that covenant paid for us. It's a sign of the new covenant. He says it this way through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This beautiful new covenant. God is a covenant God. He's a covenant God. But we need to know that covenant is a serious word. It's a serious thing. Covenant is a serious thing. When you sign, when you uh, live up, when you try to live up to a covenant, when you try to live by a covenant, you need to know it's a serious thing. In fact, the wording, when people would make a covenant with each other, would say, hey, let's cut a covenant. Let's, this is the wording, let's cut a covenant. What they're talking about is sacrifice. They were going to do an animal sacrifice with that covenant. And so they would take a, a bull or a ram or birds or whatever, and they would cut them in pieces. They would lay them on the ground. And they would walk between these pieces before they made the covenant. And you can just imagine the carnage on the ground. This is blood and guts everywhere. And what they're doing is they're saying this. They're saying, hey, if I don't keep this covenant, may it be done to me what's been done to these animals. Is that a serious thing? Does that get our attention about the seriousness of covenant? And, of course, the most of all, most serious of all covenants is what? The new covenant. The most serious because our eternity is in balance. And Jesus, not only does the work for us, but he's also the sacrifice. And his blood is, in fact, the new covenant for our sins. A serious thing is a covenant when you take it. It's not to be taken lightly. This morning, uh, we're talking about covenant because our elders have written a covenant for South City Church. Uh, I think they've done a really good job working on this together. I'm very proud of this covenant. We've done our, our, our best to, to, for it to be loving and caring and, and to be scriptural. But I want to just make it clear after the uh, cut a covenant comment, we're not planning on cutting you in half or stoning you if you don't keep the covenant. So everybody, just, everybody chill on that. That's not going to happen, all right? 
But I do want to say this, and, and the reason I've given you these examples is because it is a serious thing. It is serious. It was serious in the Old Testament. It's serious today. It should give us pause. When we read through this, it should make us go, okay, I'm going to live up to this. I'm going to do my best. It should, there should be a gravity to what this covenant says. Jesus used this language when he was speaking to his disciples. He said, hey, hey, to follow me, count the cost. He's saying, slow down, just a minute, slow down. Before you just jump up in emotion and say, Lord, whatever, I'll follow you. He's saying, wait just a minute, count the cost. He's saying, be serious. Let this be a significant moment in your life where you take serious what this says. And I'm so thankful that God is a covenant-keeping God because not only from the beginning of time did he make a covenant with Jesus and us, he keeps it. And so we see the prophecy of this fulfilled in Revelation 21, verse 3. Look at this. John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see that? It's the same wording from Jeremiah, from the, from the original prophecy of the new covenant to the fulfillment of that new covenant in heaven. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. God keeps his covenant. He keeps it. He's a covenant-keeping God. And it doesn't take long to look at Scripture and realize the covenant is his idea. If he's a covenant-keeping God, then it also makes us a covenant people. He said, I will be their God and they will be my people. So we're a covenant people. There's lots of examples in scripture of different covenants with different leaders, forefathers of our faith, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, Jonathan, Hezekiah, uh, Josiah, Asa, Nehemiah, all use covenants, everyone, with each other and with God. It was an important thing to do. This morning, I want to look at two of those, okay? I really resonate with two of them. I prayed through these and I really resonated with two of these covenants that I want us to take a look at. Now, the first one, we're not going to read just for the sake of time. And this is the one out of Nehemiah. We're all familiar with the story of Nehemiah. From the day I came to temple, I've been connected to the story of Nehemiah. You remember Nehemiah, God lays on Nehemiah's heart to come back to his home. Because it's been torn down. The walls are obliterated. But not just the walls, the people are gone. Faith is broken up. But God says he's faithful. To gather the remnant. <laughs> he does what he promises every time. And so Nehemiah comes back and they, they build up the wall. We're, he's known for the wall, right? It's not really about a wall. It's about a people. It's about a faith. Nehemiah brings the people together. And in chapter 10 is where I want us to focus just for a moment. We're not going to read it. You can read it later. Nehemiah chapter 10 is the covenant that Nehemiah makes with the people. And just as we look through that covenant, there's three main things I want us to take a look at. There's, three, there's a framework that Nehemiah sets up that we've tried to, to model and emulate in our own covenant. And I think it's very important to see. Number one, at the beginning of this covenant, you see that it is very personal. In other words, there's an individual nature to a covenant. Each one of us need to be able to say, hey, I, I'll do this. Me. And so we see in the early part of chapter 10 of Nehemiah, 
Nehemiah writes his name on this covenant. And 57 other leaders attach their name to that covenant. Because they're saying individually, I will do this. I will live my life in this way. I will honor God in this way. I, I, will, I will follow up with this. I will follow through with this. There's an individual component to covenant. There's also a congregational or, or public covenant and public commitment. Because we see in verses 33 through 39, 10 different statements that start with the word we. And they're phrases. Phrases like, uh, we take upon ourselves. Or we obligate ourselves. See, covenant's not just individual, it's also corporate. It's not just personal, it's public. And so there's something important about a people joining hands and going, we're not alone. We're in this together. We're family. And we will do this together. And then the last piece of the framework from chapter 10 in Nehemiah is a very practical commitment. And this is what I mean. Nehemiah speaks to some things that are very practical. He speaks to family. He speaks to community. He speaks to life and God. And so it's important for us to remind each other, even in the things that seem mundane, even in the things that we, don't, we take for granted, God wants to be in every part of everything of your life. Every day, every moment, every relationship, he wants to be over and in, right? There's a very practical element of Nehemiah's uh, covenant that we also want to emulate. But this morning, the covenant that I want us to really look at and read together is one that the Lord just kind of laid on my heart specifically and very strongly for us. And that is Joshua's covenant in chapter 24. Everybody's familiar with Joshua, right? Joshua's a strong military leader. He's the guy that's going to take over for Moses. Moses has passed away. And now Joshua's going to lead. Joshua's been kind of a, an awesome military guy a long time. Remember, he was the young, brave guy. That they, they volunteered and said, we'll go into to Canaan. We'll sneak in. We'll be spies, Caleb and Joshua. So he's been leading for a long time, and now he's been leading God's people. And God's people followed the Lord under Joshua. But just before Joshua comes to the end of his life, he does something very important. He rallies the nation of Israel. And he says, it's important that we follow God. Because I'm about to die. It's important that you commit your lives to God and to each other so that we will honor him with all that we are and all that we have. And we read this in Joshua 24. Look, look at it with me. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joseph said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I, uh, I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out. Do you see the change? He was talking about some other people. Now he's talking to them specifically. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and he made the sea come upon them and cover them. 
and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. What Joshua is saying here to Israel is, we've got to remember where we came from. And it's no accident that Joshua has gathered the people to Shechem. Why Shechem? What's important about Shechem? Shechem is the place where God brought Abram. When he entered Shechem, he said, I'm going to give your descendants this land. So is it important that he brings the nation of Israel back to that land? And says, remember the promises of God? Do you remember how faithful our God is? And then he goes down this list, this history. Hey, in case you've forgotten, do you remember when I did this? You remember when I did that? You remember when I brought you out of there? You remember when I defeated them? And they're, they're, they're taking this in. Oh, yeah, our God is so faithful. Let me ask you this morning, listen, is God faithful in your life? When you think back, what has he brought you through? What enemies has he defeated? What things in your life has he provided for? What provision have you known because of our faithful God? Listen to me. This story is not lost on me this morning, okay? It's not lost on me that I stand in this place after so many wonderful pastors and preachers have stood here. It's a very convicting thing to do. It's not lost on me that we get to worship in this building that generations and generations have worshipped in, been baptized in, been committed to, prayed in this altar and given their hearts to the Lord and mine is one of them. It's not lost on me this verse, you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. God is so kind and so faithful to bless us with what we have. And what a joy to carry on the ministry and the gospel witness that God wants to have in this community. Let's continue reading verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods of your father, fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, well, they were ready for this, listen. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us 
and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed? And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Oh, but listen. (laughs) Joshua, he knows these folks. He's been traveling with them. Remember those 40 years? He knows that there are people like this, just like us. Our commitment is up and it's down and we follow and then we don't and we obey and then we fall away. He knows these people and he says to them in verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do, not, and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And all the people said to Joshua, no, 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 but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away your foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up under the terebinth. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joseph sent, I'm sorry, so Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. The very first thing he says to the people here, He says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. I just stopped me in my tracks because you know what? It sounds like a lot of the kind of language we use around here. It really does. It's in our mission statement. It's written on the door before you walk in here that we want to be authentic disciples who make disciples. He says, fear the Lord. In other words, In saying fear, he's saying, be serious. Have you ever been really afraid of something? I'll probably tell you this story again if I haven't already told you before, but I was putting down some flooring in my attic in one of our houses. I'm not super handy, so if I ever die by that way, you'll know why. But um, I came close one day because I was was putting down some flooring, and there was some Romex, which is like electric cable covered by some plastic, and it was in my way, and I'm sure it's important for something. But... um, it was in the way of the floor, and there was a staple down holding the Romex down, and so I decided I would just use the Romex to pull the staple out. Well, those are big staples, and it didn't want to come out, and the staple worked its way through the rubber, and so when the, the staple hit the electricity, sparks flew, and my heart stopped, <laughs> and sparks literally shot up in the ceiling, and I just stood there. I don't have hair, but if I did, it would have been Kramer, you know? It would have just been, and I just sat, I literally just sat there for two minutes going, <gasps> scared me to death. At that point, I learned what it meant to fear electricity. I took serious this thing we call electricity. Joshua's saying, take serious the Lord. Fear the Lord. This is not one day a week of your lives. 
not a couple of hours on a day. Fear this living God we serve and serve him with sincerity and authenticity. Be authentic. Be real. Let let your life be who you say it is. Be sincere and be faithful. Be consistent. Be constant. We say the same kind of language around here. Then he gives them the details of the covenant, right? Put away the idols of your fathers. Put away the idols of your culture. And ultimately, he calls them to what? A decision. He says, you've got a choice to make. Every one of us has a choice to make. Listen, church, every one of you today has a choice to make. Every one of us has a choice to make. What's your choice? Because Joshua made it really clear. He said, you can choose your idols here. You can choose your father's idols. You can choose what the culture's doing. But as for me and my house, I'll tell you what we're doing. We're not looking back from our fathers. We're moving forward. We will serve the Lord. We will advance the kingdom of God. We will be his people. He will be our God. So he called them to choose to make a decision. He challenges them, and ultimately in the beginning, they say, sure, we'll do it. But he knows them so well, he, he, he stops. Have you ever done that with your kids? Now, come on, you know, where you're like, come on. I know you said you'll do it, but I'm being serious. Go clean your room. You know what I'm talking about? That's just us, I guess. You, you, you take that secondary moment to go, you didn't clean your room. No, you didn't. Go, you know what I mean? This is, the, this is a fatherly, loving rebuke. And that can only be done by a shepherd who knows his people who's been living among them and who loves them and goes, this is too serious just to say, okay, I'll take your word for you. This, no, I want you to be serious. He doubles down, you see that? On the seriousness of this commitment. And they say, no, we're serious. We, we mean it. And they did. And they followed the Lord. So this is the part of the message where we say, well, what does covenant have to do with us at South City Church? Well, this morning, like I said, before you leave, uh, we're going to have some folks in the back handing out our covenant. It's just a little two-page document. But I want to just bring some things out of this document that help you understand one of the reasons we created it. Okay, Right here on the front page it says, the purpose of our South City covenant. This is the purpose. This is the reason we did this. It says this. It says that we want to be established as a multicultural multi-generational community of Christ followers seeking to be obedient to God and committed to each other as his church. We want people to know that this is who we are and we are established body of Christ followers. We're going to be obedient to him. We're going to say, yes, Lord, we want to obey your voice and follow your words. We want to be his church. We want to be established in that. We also want to explain any expectations and responsibilities of pastors, elders, and also responsibilities of you as church partners. We want it to be very clear. It's one of the things, you get it in writing so that there's no misunderstanding, right? We want it to be very clear. What does it mean to be a partner of South City Church? It's in this covenant. What are the expectations that you can have for the leadership? What are they going to do for us as leaders? Well, I'm going to go into detail on that next Sunday as I talk about elders, and then we commission our three new elders. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful family day. What can we expect? It was just a moment of explaining what that is and what can we expect of partners. And then we want to encourage you. We want to encourage consistency, accountability, 
and unity in our family. That's what this is for. And then we also ultimately want not to just pat each other in the back and sing kumbaya together, right? Ultimately, we want to engage us all in the mission of Jesus in the world. That's what this is leading to. I've said it over and over again. If we forget the why of the great commission of Jesus, then we've forgotten who we are. And like Joshua saying, remember where we stand and remember who we are and what God has been doing in our lives. I say to us, we can't forget why we're here. We're here to make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. That's what he's called us to. So we want to engage all partners. Now listen, we have this document. Anytime you put something in, in writing, anytime you put something down, it's easy to go, okay, it's getting real official, you know. It's in a document form now. Ooh. One thing we don't want to be is legalistic. We want our church to be a loving community of grace. That's what we want, us, that's what we want our church to be. And so you'll see on this document, on the front page, bolded and capitalized, this phrase that says, we will fall short of perfection. I've told you before, I'll be the first one, and I'll say it again to confess, I will fail you, I promise you. We will fail each other, the leaders will fail, you'll fail, because we don't keep covenants. But praise God, (laughs) Jesus has made a new covenant, hasn't he? And he's done the work, and he's provided the sacrifice. And that same grace that he offers us to know him and serve him, we get to offer each other. So even though we're broken and fallen people and we will fall short of perfection, we will offer each other grace. We'll extend grace to each other, and we will be a grace-giving and loving community. We created this document so that we could lean forward, if you will. In other words, this document is aspirational. As you read it, you're going to go, wow, I do hope I can live to these things. I do want to be this kind of a person. I've got some tomatoes. You know, many of you know I'm a pretty big gardener. Yeah, I'm uh, not really. I have a couple of plants, but I feel very important. Last year, I had my tomato plants in this this area, and I had uh, the cages around, you know, supposed to help. And my tomato plants grew crazy tall. And the tomatoes came in looking pretty good, and then all of a sudden the plants just fell over the top of the cages and ruined the plants. And I didn't know what to do, so I kind of just let them stay like that, and it ruined my whole season. See, this year is not the same. You'll be happy to know I've got eight tomato plants. I'm very excited. They're looking amazing. Today, they're looking amazing. Check with me in six weeks. We'll see how I'm doing. But I've got cages, yes, but I've also got them in an area where I can kind of string them up as they grow so they don't fall over on themselves. This document is to offer structure. It's to be a trellis for the vine. It's to give us some sort of uh, something for us to grow to as God gives us blessing and grows our church. We need some form of structure to say, this is who we are and what we'll do. That is exactly what this document is. And as we fail, God will give us grace for each other. Listen, before I close, just want to mention this to you. This is not a new idea, by the way. I told you about the Lord being a covenant God and us being a covenant people, but covenant is not a new idea. It's an old idea. In fact, in the early 1600s, when people were coming to the States, they were fleeing uh, Catholicism and the Anglican Church, and they didn't truly know 
How are we supposed to form? We're coming out of this religion. We're not sure what makes up a church. And so in 1649, these two men, Richard Mather and John Cotton, they decided uh, that the church can't just be established on somebody's profession of faith because there's people all over that say they know the Lord, so that doesn't necessarily identify a local church. And there's a lot of people who've been baptized, and that just doesn't mean that you're just that you're part of that local church. Um, and then there's, there's also people who attend services at different places. That doesn't make them part of one church. And they said this, what establishes the visible union of believers into a church is that they make a covenant with each other and the Lord. How many of you were raised in a church that had some sort of a covenant on the wall? Let me see your hands. I've been in thousands of churches around the country, and many of them have some sort of covenant somewhere, right? This is not a new idea, okay? Let me just make that clear. This is an old idea. But what's interesting is theologians say that somewhere, this happened in 1649, somewhere in the late 1600s, different communities, different churches started creating these church covenants. And it became a very important thing for these churches to have a covenant. And many theologians believe it's because of that culture of covenant that God ushered in uh, this great awakening in, in the 1730s and 40s. A covenant is when people get serious about their relationship with God and they get serious about how they live together, how they encourage each other in the faith. That's what a covenant is. I could hand you all a Bible this morning and say, hey, keep that and you can be a partner of the church, right? But that's, that's kind of a big, that's kind of the uh, unabridged version, right? This covenant is, is nothing more than saying, love Jesus with your life and love each other. It's not a new idea. But if God brought a great awakening in the 1730s and the 1740s, why can't he do it again? was we get serious about our relationship with God. And we put our name, this personal commitment, and this public commitment, and this practical commitment down on paper, and we say, this is who we want to be. And this is the church that we want to be. What if God moved in such a powerful way? And I, listen, I'm praying he will. I've been praying he will for two years. Bring revival to this church. Bring revival to this heart. Bring revival to this community. Bring revival to this family. And as we get serious about our relationship with him and each other, I believe he'll do it. I believe he'll do it. Well, before we go, I encourage you to be here for the next couple of weeks if you can. If you know people who weren't here, we have a lot of people that weren't, that weren't here today because of the weekend. I encourage them to listen to the message just so they can be kind of in step with us over the next couple of weeks as we talk a little bit more about our covenant and what it means to love the Lord with a serious heart and love each other with a serious commitment, okay? I want to pray for us, and uh, Daryl's going to come, and we're going to sing a song of, of our faith, and we're going to sing these words about how serious and how important it is to serve the Lord together in this church, the things that we believe. So will you stand with me and... And let's, uh, let's pray as we close. Father God, thank you so much for your kindness. Lord, thank you so much that you are a covenant-making, and even more, a covenant-keeping God. And Lord, thank you that even though we are a covenant-breaking people, 
you keep your covenant. And that covenant before the beginning of the age was that you would redeem us. That you would save us. And Lord Jesus, you made a covenant with the church. That you would forgive us. That you would do the work on the cross and you would pay the price of sacrifice with your own body and blood. And Jesus, you're calling your people to a solemn heart, a serious heart of serving you, loving you, God, not with our words, but with our lives, with our decisions. Not just with one hour or two hours a week, God, but with every second of every day. Lord, you've written your law, your love for us on our minds and on our hearts. And you are our God. And may we be your people, Lord, as we enter this season of our church, looking back on your faithfulness, God, realizing, God, we didn't plant this orchard, and yet we eat from it. We are so blessed, and yet, Lord, we can't just look back on who we've been. You're calling us to look forward to who we'll be. So move us, God. Move us to be obedient to you, to come together as family and to be serious about this calling you have on us to be authentic disciples, to be faithful to you, just as Joshua encouraged the nation of Israel to be faithful, to fear you, and to serve you in sincerity and faithfulness. May we do that, Lord. We love you so much. May we worship you, Lord, and thank you for your word and this great faith you've given us. We bless you, Jesus, in your precious son's name.